millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You are very welcome to the Ireland's Birth Stories podcast. My name is Cora Gernon. I created the space for women to share all of the details surrounding their pregnancy, labour, birth and everything in between without feeling shy about the detail. Sit back and enjoy over 100 hours of birth stories told by you, the listeners. Enjoy. Hello, I hope you've all had a great week. Just to remind you of the event that's coming up in September, so I will be launching early release tickets in July and I'll share further details of the location and who'll be speaking at the event over the next couple of weeks. But it'll be a really nice opportunity to meet past meet past guests and also guests who are going to join me over the next couple of months and just a nice space to sit and chat with someone who isn't afraid to share their birth story or discuss all of those details that I know many of the listeners are dying to chat about in a safe space, I suppose, safe environment, free of judgment. So this week I'm sharing a really nice episode, a really honest episode with Jess who talks me through her three birth experiences. She did suffer two early pregnancy losses as well, which she speaks about very openly. She had an unplanned pregnancy at 20, uh, which was a shock to both her, her and her family and her partner. And she, after giving birth via cesarean section, she discovered that her little girl, Georgia, had a rare genetic disorder, which she talks about in the episode. And I will link a pay, Facebook page that Jess created to not only bring awareness to Georgia's condition, but also to share a little bit snippet of their family and their life together. She hasn't updated for a while, but she plans on doing so soon. So I'll I'll make sure to link in the show notes. She goes on then to talk about her early pregnancy losses and the births of her two girls, which were both positive vaginal births. One was um, unmedicated and the other one was with a spinal because she had failed epidurals. So other parts of this story are really important. She talks about gender disappointment, which is so real and not spoken about. She talks about the anxiety she had surrounding another unplanned pregnancy, her most recent little girl, Hannah. And she's just so honest. And I think what comes out of her mouth is so much of what we all are thinking. So I really appreciate Jess sitting down and having this conversation with me. It's a long episode, but I don't think you'll be watching the clock listening to it. I think you'll just love it. Thanks, Jess. And I hope you all have a good week. Chat to you on Monday. So would you like me to call you Jessica or Jess? 
Uh, Jess. Jess. So Jess, you are very welcome to the Ireland's Birth Stories podcast. Uh, thank you for agreeing to chat to me in such short notice. As you said, I think it's meant to be and the two of us are wearing olive green as well, which is the <laughs> colour of Ireland's Birth Stories podcast. So I think it's all Brilliant. happened for a reason. So if you want to just give us a little introduction to you and your family. Yep. So I'm Jess. I'm 29. Um, I have a partner called Tom and we're together 12 years. Uh, in 12 years, we've had three beautiful girls. So I have Georgia, she's eight. I have Ella, who's two and a half, and Hannah, who just turned one. Um, we live together um, in a lovely little house in County Mead. And we're settled here about five years. Um, and life is just going around the world as we are as well. Yeah, I was just thinking 12 years. And I was like, geez, that's ages. And I was like, oh, hold on, I'm 11. <laughs> <laughs> we were babies, babies having babies. We're quite like, we were very young. We were 17 getting together. Oh, cool. Yeah. So do you want to just talk to us about your first pregnancy? Yeah. Okay. So um, I found out I was pregnant uh, the summer I was 20. Um, so it was, it was a big shock, mm-hmm. um, as it would be when you're 20. Um, my partner, was he was only 19 as well at the time. Um, and um, it was very, the first few weeks were very kind of, right, okay, you, you know, we spoke to parents. My parents weren't, you know, they weren't too happy. <laughs> they were away on holidays when I told them, which probably was the really bad, immature move. <laughs> so we, we spoke to both both parents and, you know, we were told you have our full support and, you know, the talk of your support is there, your options are there, you know, just to what any parent would say to their, their young kids. Um, and we decided that going forward, it's what was going to happen. And um, we moved back to my mom's house because I felt like that's what I needed. I needed to be at home with my parents. I was living in Tom's house at the time. And I needed that support of my of my mom and dad. Um, mm-hmm. We had our rooms. We had space. It just worked a bit better. Um, so we moved back home. And everything was progressing really well. Um, we got the booking in scan for 12 weeks. Um, and kind of from that point, things, life was just, it, life turned around a big u-turn uh tom's brother passed away a week before we we ever got to see uh georgia um on the scan so that was a huge it was almost like a mask then kind of all oh, the rest of the pregnancy it was very sad very sudden it was a unfortunately um a car accident so that kind of that was hard for those though the rest of the pregnancy and those months kind of because we didn't know how to share our joy but we were reassured by the family you know like this it is a joyous thing, you know, everybody's grieving, but that's what they need, you know, a new life comes and a new life, mm. you know, that's saying. Um, so we everybody rallied together to try and keep it a really a good experience for us. And like that, we weren't trying to hide anything and it was just motor on. And they wanted to hear the news. Tom's pa- parents wanted to hear the good news. Okay. They wanted to hear about the appointments. And it was just, I think, that little bit of light and hope during a tragic time you know mm. um so that that was those few months were really hard um and everything pregnancy wise was progressing lovely um we were so young as well we were so naive um what to expect you know like I was really lucky that I got to live at home with my mom and dad and they were able to guide us through um and unfortunately the hospital that I was attending at the time they don't offer anomaly scans I'm pretty sure they they still don't offer anomaly scans, so we decided ourselves. You know, it was it was we were more thinking, 
what's the baby going to be? Are we having a boy or a girl? Yeah. The back of our mind. They normally scan the health. We were like, everything will be fine. Everything will be fine. So we went and got our, our private gender scan and we found out at 20 weeks we're having a little girl. And we were both over the moon. We were so happy. I always visualized myself with a girl first. I don't know why. It was just one of those one of those things that I'd always had hoped for. So we were really happy. And from that moment, we had her name, Georgia. She was going to be Georgia. And we tried not to say it as much as I could during the pregnancy. Um, but we had decided that's, that's who she would be. Um, so we carried on. Um, from about 28 weeks, you know, we'd go in, in and out of the hospital then from 28 weeks, you know, every few, every few weeks, every few months. And um, city things would creep up, you know, uh, quite common things, you know, like protein in the urine, you know, city things like that. Blood pressure was always on the low side, but always generally really well, really good. I was consultant led um, due to, I think it was my BMI. So nothing serious, just, you know, due, yeah. due to BMI and gestational diabetes, they just want to be mindful of that um and yeah everything again from 28 weeks just you know every day and again they'd be like oh just the protein or just watch keep hydrated keep hydrated um during the pregnancy I'd suffer really bad migraines as well it was quite hormonal I think that's really common as well and mm-hmm. um, so I'd always be um I did they, I got them with aura they were pretty scary to begin with you know where I'd get like the flashing lights and you know, things like that. And I actually, I think at 37 weeks pregnant, I was admitted at one point because um, there was a few, obviously, boxes I ticked or red flags and I'd gone into the hospital. I think I was getting, um, I had a bit of a vomit and bug at the same time and I was getting some contractions. But the, nothing, they were too worried, but they just wanted to keep an eye on me. And that kind of triggered um, a bit of probably anxiety for me. And yeah. that's kind of where it would have began, a bit of anxiety kind of not like I was worried then that there was something going on more than than that I thought there was and worrying about why like there there would always be something going on like protein wise or low blood pressure why am I getting migraines is there something else going on so like I only had three weeks or so left again completely naive that you could go overdue <laughs> on your first baby so we'd we'd be in and out then from three to seven weeks um and like birth and plan wise, I I was none the wiser. I had no life experience at this point. So I was very much led by the professionals. I didn't really speak too much about what I would have preferred because mm-hmm. um, I didn't know any better, really. Um, I just, we'd go in, we'd be told X, Y, and Z, and I'd be happy. And on we go, you know, like birth preference, epidurals, you know, whatever they recommended, I'd be happy for. Um. And it got- sorry at home had you started to create like that environment that a new baby like was coming into so did you have to get the bassinet and all the lovely bits and pieces I'm sure your family were really on board with helping create yeah, that they, for you yeah they they helped create again it was that, that excitement as well mm. they would have helped create that space um my, 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 we were lucky enough to be up in the attic so we had two kind of spaces two bedroom spaces um yeah so my my mom and dad um we had the whole space upstairs. We were very lucky we'd have the two bedrooms and they kind of allocated that, um, which was a nice way to help us prepare mm. for the baby. So I think I finished work from about three, four weeks because, as I said, I was in and out of hospital. So the girls I was working with at the time, they said, look, if you need to just take the time. Um, so I finished work quite early and I came home from work one day and they had a nursery done for me, which was so amazing. Yeah, it was mm. it was really lovely. Um. They had the cut up the bassinet. They had everything you'd want for your new baby. You know, it was 
a lovely space for her to have. Um, and then as well, uh, a baby shower. They they got to throw me a baby shower, which was, again, it wasn't really normal back then, like eight years ago. They weren't really common. Um, yeah. So it was really nice just to get the two families together because like that, we were so young. Our families wouldn't have had those kind of opportunities <laughs> to gather, you know, like I think the Debs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and even at that, you're like, oh, you're focused, your mind is elsewhere. So it was really nice to get um, Tom's side of family and my very small family together and that was a lovely way of then me bonding with the baby as well mm-hmm. um because again there wasn't like we'd have our space together at night time so we were lucky to go to bed and we'd have that bond together you know like rub my belly talk to my baby you know mm-hmm. but it was nice then to have um a place where you could visualize your baby to sleep a place where you could visualize feeding you know and it was so nice that that came together so that was a lovely way for everybody to help bond um she was the first granddaughter as well on my side of the family so it was really nice really um, special yeah yeah so yeah so from like I said from about 37 weeks then we were in and out uh, of hospital and um I got to one point then when I was I got kept in just before I went 10 days overdue <laughs> okay. I, I was none the wiser I like that I thought she'd be here when she would come and she actually we I went in at 40 weeks and I remember the sonographer because I'd seen the doctor every time. So I was lucky enough to get like a little mini scan, you know, the way they check to see the baby's heads down. I remember at one point the doctor, he was just taking a bit long scanning the baby's circumference, the head circumference. And I remember like watching on the screen, very basic, um, a very basic machine. And he was just bringing the dial, you know, the measure, the measuring dial out. And he repeated it a few times again. And I could see like the measurements pop up and pop back down. And my mom was with me and she's a really good advocate for her daughter, like as we all would be. Yeah. And she she woke up and she was like, is everything OK, doctor? And yeah, that was no, no, no worries. Just, you know, want to get good measurements. You're going to have a big baby. And we're like, OK. So we were booked in then and there for an induction. I was hoping to go spontaneously, but unfortunately we went in. We went in the night of my 21st birthday for um, induction. So that was the 30th of March 2014. And we were able to, we were booked in for seven o'clock in the evening. So we got to spend time together with family and off we went in. And they, I was really nervous because I wasn't sure what, what the induction, what would bring, you know, mm-hmm. how it would progress, um, the pain, you know, like what, what would go on. And they, the midwives were lovely. And I remember being up in the ward and they let my mom and my partner stay up until about 11 o'clock that night. And they're like, look, it's your first baby don't expect anything to happen <laughs> we're going to give you the gel the pedigree and we're expecting probably three rounds to go so don't don't expect much like go on your way home we lived about 35 minutes away from hospital so I was a bit anxious leaving them but they they, they reassured us that, you know everything would be fine and there'd be no progression and I think I think after about an hour after they left I felt what I my first kind of <laughs> contractions <laughs> so I was like oh yeah these these are feeling these are feeling kind of like something I can time and that was about 12 o'clock at night and I remember there was a lovely lady across from me and we kind of both got chan and it was a nice distraction for a little while and she kind of started getting her surges around the same time and I wasn't really aware of any sort of like hypnobirthing or any pain management or anything like that you know being so unsure of what I wanted to do and I was just you know I'd asked for paracetamol and they came in and 
they're like, oh, yeah, sure, we won't check you anytime soon. You know, again, you've never birthed a baby. Your cervix is never dilated. Everything will be fine. And I remember thinking, like, these were quite intense. And I was on my own. Uh, they hadn't examined me, so there was no need for them to ring, you know, my partner or my mom. And I remember being on my own and um, going to the bathroom. And I thought I just needed to go for a wee, but I felt this internal pop, <laughs> which then I was like, oh, that must be my waters. But I, I now I know it was my waters. But back then, I, I hadn't a clue that um, it just felt like an elastic band kind of pop or ping. And then it was mm. a coincidence that I had to go to the bathroom. And um, after that, then it was it became so intense. Um, so I remember calling the midwife again and she brought me into like a triage, kind of like off the ward into another room. She's like, yeah, yeah, <clears throat> excuse me, you're three centimetres. Would you like the epidural? And at that point, I was like, wow, this is real. <laughs> this, yeah. is, this is real. I wasn't where's my mom? <laughs> yeah, where's my mom? I wasn't even aware that I could be offered epidural. And I had hoped to not go that early or that far into my journals that quick and be offered epidural so I think I remember saying I, I'd rather not and she was like sure look what's the harm or something along those lines so I was like okay okay I'll, I'll go for it like I'm on my own here um if if it's something that will help me and the pain we'll, we'll go with it like because I have no support like here with me yeah um and that, that was quite scary then. I, at this point, I remember this is when it kind of became a lot scary for me. We tried contacting my partner and my mom at this stage. And I think we're nearing three o'clock in the morning and there was no answer. They were both obviously in the land of Nod at home. And things progressed really quickly, but not in the sense of labour, but in the sense of they like the baby's heart rate was dropping. So they had to get a sample of blood from her head and... At this point, I was three centimetres. They're saying I'm not progressing the way they wanted to. The baby's heart rate dropping and the word C-section was thrown at me. And this was all happening so quickly. It was really, really, really like dramatic and traumatic all at the same time mm. because I didn't feel like I was in the place where I feel, felt empowered or supported to speak for myself. Like Again, I hadn't kind of learned that way of being an advocate for myself at this point in life. And again, I was just going along and I was kind of like, right, I need I need Tom here. I need my mom here. I need somebody to come. So they, they gathered it a while and the decision was made and they managed to finally get hold of, of my family. And at this point, again, I, I got the epidurals and things were a bit woozy, you know, adrenaline. Things were kind of, I, I there's missing parts of the story, you know, and I always, I, whenever we talk about it, I always get filled in. I always learn something new. And I just remember they arrived and I was being gowned for the section and Tom was like, what's going on? And I was like, I, I don't know, like it's, she, the baby's not doing great. And it was one of those moments where my mom was stood in the hallway and they were wheeling me past her and she was shouting after a nurse, what's happening? You know, it was that quick. Mm -hmm. It was really instant. There must have been significant. They were really worried. It was significant with her and her her, her heart rate and stuff. Um. And I remember my mom saying that a nurse quickly stood back, said, this is what's happening. And that was it. That was the last time my mom see me again. So we were prepped C-section and we were in and out. And I remember just my body going to shock. I remember 
shaking and feeling like I was I was remember saying to them the epidural was going too high you know I felt like that I was more numb than I was meant to be but at this point it was a spinal rather than they had to give me a spinal as well and I just remembered the, the panic it was just panic um I felt like I wasn't involved in my own situation does that make sense I felt yeah. like I was looking at the situation um and Tom obviously had to wait outside before they could let him in and as quick as it happened, like as quick as they had me in, she was born. And from that moment, I remember, you know, you're laying back and they're like, congratulations, it's a girl. And they lifted her up over the curtain. And I, I remember saying to Tom, there's something wrong. And they're, they're like, there's nothing wrong. Everything's OK. Everything's OK. And I, they're like, we're just giving her a bit of help. She just needs a bit of oxygen. And I was like, no, no, there's something wrong with her face. I can see something physically wrong. I said, the first thing that came to my mind, I was like, she's Down syndrome. I said, I feel like there's, she's Down syndrome. I feel like there's something wrong. And I just remember crying. And this were the pit, these are the bits that become very hard and emotional, like emotional, but like very um, patchy. And they just, I just remember a nurse or midwife coming over to me and saying, you're right, there is something. We, we don't know what's going on. Your baby has to go to NICU. And those moments, um, again, it was a haze for a very long time um, after that, those moments. So she went to NICU and I went into a bit of shock. So I spent a while down in, this, in the, in the theatre um, and I remember them bringing me back out and I was kind of in and out of consciousness, you know, just with the, um, the other way after an epidural, they say you can get the shakes and everything. And yeah. that's exactly what I was getting and the nausea. And I remember just having my eyes closed and I remember saying to them, I just want my mom. I just want my mom. Like, we can't bring her in. We can't bring her in. She's like, she's not gained up. And I was like, I just want my mom. And Tom had to say, can you, can I leave? Can I will leave. And can you just let her see her mom? And I just remember holding on to her and being like, mom, there's something wrong. Like, I don't know what's going on. And she just looked at me. And she goes, I promise you, whatever's going on, it will be fine. Mm-hmm. And, um, this is when I get really emotional <laughs> I just remember not knowing what to think um and we at this point then I, I she was gone to NICU and I was brought up to the the post-labor ward and um, she was born at 6 46 in the morning so I remember being bright outside um but I just remember sleeping um, and being in a lot of pain um, I remember sleeping for a lot of the morning um and they'd come in and out and do the blood pressure checks and, and all those kind of things and a nurse came in to me and I said, so like, what's wrong? Is she okay? And they were like, we, we don't know what's wrong. We, a doctor's been down Um, they're doing scans. They're, they're checking everything. Um, there will be somebody up, but you should be able to see her really soon. Um, And again, it wasn't, you know, yourself, like they're busy. It wasn't as soon as I had hoped. The day kind of, it was almost a full 12 hours. Um, and I was very much so in and out of consciousness just again with the pain and being very tired and I remember my mom still being there my mom at this point had gone home and come back up because it was so late into the day and I remember hearing through, like through the foggy haze of the beeps of the machines the blood pressure machines and the other babies on the ward and I remember them saying she she doesn't want to go down to see her and my mom she said to them you need to give her a chance and they said to me do you want to go down and see her and I remember saying no and I, I don't know why I said no at the time, but I know now I was terrified. Terrified, I didn't yeah. Know, yeah, didn't know what to expect. 
I really didn't know what to expect. Um, and they were they were saying we're worried about bonding. And my mom's like, you can't be worried about bonding. It's less than 12 hours and we haven't a clue what's going on. So they they were itching to get me up. And I think it was about 10 o'clock that night was when I, they were like, you need to get up now. We need to get you on your feet. We need to make sure you're OK. You need to see your baby. And um, it was one of those moments, you know, like it wasn't a there was no fireworks. There was no that there wasn't that moment that you visualize or that you see when they throw the baby on your chest and there's it's full of joy. It was so scary. Um, she was the biggest baby in the NICU. She was eight pounds four. <laughs> so it was it was it was so bizarre to see that she was in this machine in an incubator, sorry, and she was such a big baby in there. And it was it's funny now because you realize how how healthy she was then, but not knowing the extent of what was going on. Um and I remember speaking to them and they just said, look, we're not sure what's going on. We know there's a syndrome, but we we can't find a diagnosis. And they had mentioned to me about like, if we can't discharge you and we don't find a diagnosis, we could potentially be talking about calling this after Georgia, something along those lines. And that's the point again, another, another huge key memory or core memory here. And I was like, this is this this doesn't happen to people like me. This doesn't happen to normal people. This doesn't happen to a young couple that never expected anything to go wrong. We never had an anomaly scan. So at that point, there was no glimpse. There was no idea um, of what was going on. And I just remember thinking like there was a sense of grief there because when you're pregnant, you visualize this baby, you visualize how she might look, you visualize what might what she might look like or whose features she might get but Georgia has a condition called craniofrontal nasal dysplasia it's a mouthful <laughs> but it basically it's it's all to do with them so when the babies are born their their sutures their soft spots are meant to be open but her soft spots are closed so she had a fusion in her skull and she had a rare genetic condition along the side of that which causes um a few different characteristics so she has um hypertolerism in her eyes so she's got wide set eyes um her 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 features were aren't symmetrical compared to an a, a typical child so like I said when I seen she was born I knew straight away because they're mm. so physical and they're so like they're all facial features you know and she had six toes and I know <laughs> so many children are born with extra digits but to me for some reason I'd never heard of that and I was like that's got to be related and it is related like a lot of the children okay. are born with extra digits but we didn't know at the time so we, we ended up staying for a good five days um I think due to be having the c-section and due to not knowing what was going on there um she was on a feeding tube for a while she had um narrow airways at the time they couldn't get they, there was a blockage on one side of her nose um, and she had a high cleft a high palate so she wasn't able to suck um an atypical bottle it was really hard for her to latch and I had wanted to breastfeed and again being so young um I wasn't I didn't push for that for myself and I remember being in the hospital at one point they had put me in a private room I think they thought it would protect me from the other moms and babies um and they put me into a private room and said she can you can stay here until Georgia comes back and I felt the most isolated I'd ever felt and I don't know if that's because 
I was in a room there was no noise there was no hustle and bustle there wasn't many people coming in and I remember a midwife in particular came in and she's the only lady that asked if I wanted to breastfeed and that's when I felt important because I felt like okay this is something I can give to help Georgia in all this you know like she was downstairs in, in an incubator and I just remember thinking okay this is something I can give her so I remember hand expressing not not knowing really what I was doing we were able to give her a bit of colostrum so that made me feel like I was involved like I was part of, like I was her mom you know it made me feel yeah. some sort of connection um, and unfortunately it there wasn't consistency um when we went back Georgia came back to me actually that night and there was no consistency with that like I tried to get help and unfortunately there just wasn't enough help for me to kind of establish any of that or to get to latch turns out anyways that she had um, a high palate and she had a weak suck so we ended up having to give her special bottles in the end um so I, I used to beat myself up quite a lot and I, I always have to remind myself like I tried my best I it was totally out of my control you know and um there were so many different factors as well um, so then my, my main goal then was to to get her home um, and it was a long road. It was, that's kind of when it all began, like not in the, the operation, operating room. Um, it was when we got home, that's when it all began, you know, like that's when the hospital appointments came in and we didn't have a diagnosis for a year. So we were left okay. a year without any diagnosis and it was really hard to kind of get our heads around. And I remember she we were very very early postpartum and my mom was like come on let's get her out in the buggy let's show her off let's bring her out you know that walk you know mm. the first walk and you're like the newborn in the in the buggy and I just remember there was again that joy wasn't there you know there was I was more worried about people looking in and not giving me the reaction that they'd be like oh she's a gorgeous little girl it was almost as if I was afraid they'd look in and be like oh is everything okay and I, I got those comments as well and I know that's okay now because people are just yeah, people are curious you know mm. and they want to educate themselves but I used to put the hood up a lot or I'd throw the muslin over over the hood and I didn't enjoy our time together as a mom and baby do you know that kind of way it was it was really hard time and we were living appointment by appointment because we knew we were in and out of hospital a lot. So it was never like, oh, what can we do today? Or mother and baby groups, because I didn't want the confrontation. Um, I didn't like people looking in the buggy for the questions, you know, that kind of way. Um, and it was just, it was really hard to deal with. And I remember a six weeks postpartum, I remember crying. Um, and I had kind of wrote my first, I was, I started writing. That was my way of, that was like my therapy nerdy. And I just started writing one night and I remember staying up to three o'clock in the morning and I just wrote down the whole experience of the last six weeks and I remember posting to Facebook because I felt like it was my explanation to the world which was so ridiculous because who do I I've no explanation to give to anybody you know like she is who she is um and if people wanted to find out or ask I'm, I'm an open book that's how people like that's how you educate yourself and I remember posting this on Facebook and it was it was like a moment of I had cried so many tears, but I felt like it was like a huge weight off my shoulder because it was yeah. me addressing something. And I remember my best friend said to me, like she was like, people have asked me, people have messaged me privately 
and it was that kind of feeling of it was so hurtful she wasn't doing it in a, in a way to hurt me but it was like people are talking about her people are wondering what's going on people are trying to figure out if I'm okay but yeah. it wasn't done in, in in the right way you know so going forward I created um, a Facebook page then called Georgia's Story and it was my way of keeping everybody in the loop family mm-hmm. friends people that want to know people that were just nosy people that wanted to follow for their own you know enjoyment purposes you know it, they, to educate themselves and going forward that's how I kind of helped myself and my mental health you know it was writing and sharing pictures of her and getting the joy from that rather than hiding her you know um, and I think going to the hospital the main children's hospital um, in Dublin they have a craniofacial unit I got to see other children at these appointments that were also typical or atypical or had their own disabilities or had their own craniofacial problems and it was like a world opened up to me and I felt yeah. like we belonged somewhere um it, yeah it felt it felt like a community um and I just knew at that point that I was like we're not we're not alone you know no. um not only for you but also for Georgia as she grows yeah um yeah so she'll be able to I suppose form form friendships but it's so important for you to have those other parents to speak to because only they can will relate to do you know what yeah. what you how you feel or yeah or how I suppose you can guide Georgia as well exactly and it was it was just um it was just yeah it was one of those eye-opening moments um <laughs> and I just yeah I'm, and she her conditions really were um and Facebook actually is the only I found a support group really early on in our journey so she's about three months old and we still had a diagnosis but her symptoms mm. were so um the characteristics are, are very obvious and um, by chance, I came across this lady that had a child with the same. There, it, it's all. It was an American page, and they had to meet the group. And again, it was like a world. Like there's about two hundred of us from all across the world. And creating Georgia's story, I was hoping one day I'd come across a family in Ireland, and that's all I wanted. My mission is just to, if I have one person today, or if I have one person doing this birth story or if I mm. reach out to one person I, I feel like I'm doing what we're meant to do as as a mum and daughter you know the kind of way reaching out and opening up um, and and guiding somebody else you know that's all I want to do is be able to help someone if they're in that place that we were because everybody has to begin somewhere you know exactly um, yeah. and so yeah we were in and out of Temple Street and we still are but it was yeah it was it was um it was a it was a blur that first year postpartum was was a blur and I I didn't know anything about mental health back then I didn't I, it never affected me I was really lucky I it wasn't on my doorstep but looking back now there were so many signs um and I I used to just it was more so brushed off because of for trauma you know it was sure look what you're going through of course you're going to feel like that but there was no acknowledgement to how I felt you know um and I remember in the early days, I remember saying to Tom, like, there, like, there is something wrong. Like, she, like, and my mom kind of was the only one at the time that was able to be honest and be like, yeah, there is, she does look different, you know, and that's fine. And um, going back to remember at six weeks postpartum when I posted that blog story, I remember saying to Tom that night, like, why can't you talk to me about her? And it was the first time he had, like, he made me feel valid and he was like there there is she does look different but we're doing a great job 
And it was like the first time that he, I knew that he knew that we were both on the same page, you know, and it was obvious like he did know there was something, but it was very hard for him as a dad. And people forget about dads sometimes, Mm. but it was his first time to, to say to me, there is something, but we'll be fine. And from that point, we were able to talk about it so openly and it just became the part of our life. I will tag Georgia's story, the Facebook page in the podcast show notes for any of the listeners that want to have a look at Georgia's story so far. Will we move on to the next part of your story? Yeah, so um, we decided then, uh, so kind of once we got those genetic results with Georgia and we found out that we weren't carriers. It was almost that opened a huge life for us because we said we didn't want any more children, but a part of me, I wanted, I wanted to give her a sibling. I, I felt if we didn't give her a sibling or if we couldn't give her a sibling, she would wonder why. And I didn't want her to ever think that there was a reason to do, like, to do with her condition as to why. And I know that's probably so far-fetched to other people, but that's just how my mind went, you know, when we were younger. Um, and I always was aware that we might not be able to, but it was just something I, at one point, we'd both decided we were we would go to one day have another baby and I think um when Georgia was I always said five would be a lovely age because I've given her all the time I gave her that preschool time I gave her that that time and to see her go to school would be such a huge milestone a five-year age gap I'd have time to give another baby you know because I was mm-hmm. totally aware that Georgia's life would still be great like busy and we'd still have to have gifts but give her her give her our time hospital and medically and you know so I always said five would be lovely um so while she was in play school we kind of decided we were still very young but when we were in the game like already we were like no one's gonna say it (laughs) and it was really nice to actually talk about um planning because we that wasn't not in our vocabulary before because it was like an unplanned pregnancy so it was really nice to be able to be like to say we would love to try for another baby um, and again, we were still very young. But like I said, we were already in it. We already had a child. We were already living together at this point. We'd moved out um, just after George's first surgery. So we were just living together years. And um, yeah, we just said we'd try to conceive. Um, and from very early on, I got I got roped or sucked into that trying to conceive community. Mm. <laughs> you know, I started hearing the words OPKs, you know, of the the, the ovulation kits. And yeah. I started hearing about all these terms and I got, I don't know, forums. I got sucked into these forums very early on. Um, and unfortunately, because I'd started using all those, um, like those kits quite early, I'd started to test quite early before like in this period you know um and you'd hear of these pe- women they'd cut like I think they call it like a pee on a sticker or a stick <laughs> or a pos p-o-a-s pee on a sticker the stickers um so they like trying to like any glimpse of a line before your miss period you know that kind of way so I remember the first month um buying pregnancy tests and Tom was looking at me like I was mad he's like but you're not pregnant <laughs> and I think but I might be you know like I haven't missed a period but but I might be um and I remember um I remember doing um a, a pregnancy test quite early on a few days before this period and it turned out unfortunately that was a chemical pregnancy and 
uh, that's when my life again opened up into something else that I was completely at the time blissfully unaware of and I was one of those statistics I suppose you know at that point um and I remember it was um 2018 and it was in the March and I remember the dates and everything uh, it's just one of those kind of bad habits of mine but it was though that year we had the really bad snowstorm um and we were locked like everybody's locked in their houses it was really bad and I just remember having this very faint positive test or this positive test and I remember the next day um bleeding and I remember saying to Tom I have to go to the hospital and um, at this point we were living in a completely different area so the hospital I had Georgia in was never going to be a maternity hospital of choice again um, okay. for, for loads of reasons but I was more Dublin based at this point um, and I believed if I was to ever have another pregnancy I needed that that 20 weeks scan it was a huge mm. factor for us it was kind of again that glimpse of pregnancy loss um, and I just felt like it was very um what's the word I'm looking for it was uh, a normal normal in a hospital in a maternity surrounding like, environment not normal to somebody that's never had a loss but it was normal to the staff or, or, or the terms they would have used you know that mm-hmm. kind of way and I remember mm-hmm. even feeling so invalid my feelings my emotions because as soon as you see any sort of line on a pregnancy test you're planning like that's a future you know no matter how far gone you are I always believe that's some future like a due date it's something significant to you and I felt insignificant leaving the hospital and I remember not telling anybody because I was like does it mean anything was it actually did it mean anything was it actually something and I was this like I was dismissing my own feelings because of how that ex- little experience I had in the hospital. Um, and I remember telling a friend um, I needed to talk to somebody at that point. And that was that was a nice turning point because I was able to realise that it was valid. And it's valid to anybody, you know. Um, and that was kind of the beginning of that journey. Um, so I, I, it got to the point where I kind of even stopped, like, drink they go for a drink we didn't have a big social life but I remember saying but what if um what if I could be pregnant or what if there's a chance like you know and stopping at some city like that or you know really getting engulfed engulfed into that community at such a really early stage um of that journey um and I was so young so I, there shouldn't have been any worries like I shouldn't have been worried about anything yeah. um but I, I think because we had that experience in Georgia and we had, I had no worries then. I had nothing to worry about then because we weren't, we didn't have anything to be worried of. But when you, when your eyes are opened to what, like there is so much in life that we don't know. And I think when you've already been open to something like that, or that wouldn't happen to me and you that's happened to you, your mm. mind changes completely. So that was fine. We booked a holiday. Um, I, I kind of decided then come the summer, we need to, I, need, I needed to relax because Tom obviously wasn't involved in that side of things. But I needed to relax because it just became that top of conversation. It was, it was just, it was something that I talked about quite a lot and I needed to just relax. Um, and we went away on holidays and um, we came back from holidays. And of course, the first thing I wanted to do was go and use a pregnancy test because I had a few symptoms when we were away. Um, I remember crying on the airplane 
going home from, we were in Fort Ventura. It was our first family holiday. And I remember crying on the plane and I was like, I, I'm so emotional. I, I, I'm so, it was such a beautiful holiday. And I was like, oh my God, I'm pregnant. <laughs> it, was, it was that moment. And I was like, oh, I am pregnant. I am pregnant. I'm crying leaving holidays because I had such a beautiful time. It was just <laughs> one of those, one of those moments. Um, and again, unfortunately, um, I, so I'd started doing the testing again. And um, at this point I did have a missed period and the line progression, again, it was a term that I had picked up along the way. Um, there was just something, I felt something was off. I felt like I was ovulating. I was getting quite really bad pains on one side, one side of the pains from quite early on. Um, and there, the lines, like every pregnancy test I've taken, like the lines would be different colours. They wouldn't be, like one day it'd be really dark or it'd be really light. And I was like, Tom, there's something wrong. And do you know when that gut instinct kicks in and you just know something's wrong mm-hmm. and I remember um I, I should have been six weeks pregnant and I remember st- I was I was going to some world at the time I remember standing up and I felt uh, just a gush of blood and I knew I just knew and I said to Tom okay after the experience we had back in March I don't want to go to the hospital and feel completely invalid and you know just in or invalid um so I'm going to go to Tesco's and get a test. And if it still says I'm pregnant, I'm, I'm pregnant, but I'm going to go to the hospital because I don't think it's normal to bleed. And he was like, OK, that's fine. Like, I, if that's what you want to do, if that helps you. And I, it was a really stormy night. It was October and my mom drove up to the hospital and she um, she said, look, oh, wait, this is pre-COVID. So she was allowed to wait and she came into the waiting room and they brought me in. And because at that point I was I was really early, they they'd done an internal scan. And again, it was one of those moments where I just knew and there was a um lot a lot of blood and they'd said to me they couldn't find a baby in my uterus. Um it was a pregnancy of a known location, so they had to treat it as an ectopic pregnancy. So that was a huge that was a huge, another huge traumatic event that I really it really affected me um in so many ways. Um, so I, I got kept in overnight and they'd done all the necessary tests and they still couldn't find the baby in my uterus um, and they couldn't find a baby in my floating tubes. So they, they said to me, look, there's a few different roads we can go down. There's expectant management where your body seems to be miscarrying already. So we can just let your body do what it needs to do. Or there is surgical management or med- medical, like, so medical management. So they could have done a surgery. Um in a few days time to see where I'm at or I, they'd give me an in, an injection to kind of um terminate uh any of the cell like any of the HCG anything that was going on so we decided because we didn't really know what was going on and we were going to treat it with expected management um, and I was to go back in every 48 hours to get my bloods done. So out of my two children Eva is naturally the most curious she wants, she's in at everything. She wants to see what's in every press. She wants to see how every toy works. It's just into everything. And although it's it's just a new way of parenting that I didn't have with Oliver, I just had to be prepared for this child who needs constantly, who's being stimulated constantly. So say hello to Brain Building with Panda Crate. It's exactly what I needed. It's a subscription service for Play Essentials designed just for babies and toddlers aged 0 to 24 months. 
It's created by play experts at KiwiCo in partnership with Seattle Children's Hospital. Panda Crate is thoughtfully designed with care to stimulate your baby's brain development through play. Panda Crate is a science-backed, research-based approach to play and recognises that there's more to babyhood than the milestones itself. So within the Panda Crate, there was lacing beads. So Eva can sit down and do something like a jigsaw, but she'll have it done really quickly. And she, with the lacing beads, it takes her just a couple of minutes and she has to use both hands so she can really explore each piece, thread the shapes onto a string and develop bilateral coordination. Really, really handy. And also there is a peg puzzle. So it's another way to solve shapes and it's nice. They're nice wooden, robust toys. They're easy to clean, nice solid shapes. And I find the other toys that you put for her anyway to put uh, say a block into something is far too easy so the peg puzzle was just really ha- handy it challenged her a little bit more than the others whether you're a first-time parent or not panda crate provides a way to simplify the early years with just right products to support your baby's rapid development in the first two years of life countless errors go into creating the playthings in this box kiwico designers Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ideate, iterate and prototype test, review and revise. And then they do it all again. So every material, colour, angle and curve is a thoughtful choice designed to stimulate your baby's brain development through play. And as I mentioned before, you can really see that in, especially with the pieces in the peg puzzle. Unlock brain building play and create a foundation for early learning with Panda Crate from KiwiCo. 
get 30% off your first month plus free shipping with code IRE birth at kiwico.com. That's 30% off your first month at kiwico.com with promo code IRE birth. On to the rest of this week's episode. And that was, um, I started journaling at this point again. So it was another thing that came back around in my life was writing down. It's the way I kind of cope. Um, and I remember just writing down, I still have a book actually of all my ovulation tests. And it was just a way to kind of, I, I'm glad I have it now because it marks every part of my journey. Mm-hmm. And um, I was just writing down, they, I'd get the phone call from the nurse and I'd write down what my numbers were, my HCG, if they were going up, if they were going down. And I remember the day it hit zero and I remember bawling my eyes out because I remember thinking for something I wanted so bad, I've never been so relieved to see a number that meant I'm not pregnant because that journey, those it was a long two weeks. And I was lucky, that word is so bizarre to use, but I was lucky it, it would gone the way it had because so many women don't aren't fortunate enough for their body to do it that way. You know, there's surgeries and there's so many other situations and yeah, I remember using that word lucky and being like, that's so crazy I'm using that word. But I was so happy to have my body back and to get over it and just to move on. And I remember um, receiving my 12-week scan appointment. You know, those silly things like that, that really hit that gut, you know, that gut feeling we were yeah. talking about, that blow. And I remember receiving that. And then I received like um, a, a letter to say like, here's information we're sorry for your loss there's a remembrance service day every year this month and this month and I kept all those things um and I don't know if it was my way of coping but I, I only came across them the other day I said I need to let go of that hospital <laughs> I don't have babies but I kept all those I kept all those things and because they're significant to me now you know mm. it, it just shows what we went through and um we finally got over the other side where I wasn't under the EPAU anymore Um, we had we're not getting any more appointments through for that pregnancy like I had to do those horrible phone calls ringing my GP to say I'm not pregnant anymore we'd gotten over that side of that journey and we were able to move on and it was Christmas time and I said I'm not trying anymore (laughs) I said I'm not trying I'm going to enjoy Christmas I'm going to have a few drinks and guess what happened (laughs) (laughs) I became pregnant <laughs> um, and that's how little Miss Ella was came to life. Um, so I found out on New Year's Eve that year that I was pregnant again. And um, that's, yeah, that pregnancy with her, was it was a lovely pregnancy. Um, I'd set those intentions out years and years ago that my next pregnancy was going to be planned um, and it was going to be... I'm going to be more educated on what I wanted. I'm going to breastfeed. And I really set out those intentions so many times. And I believe that my mind frame and the support around me at this point, because everybody was so excited for George to be big sister. Everybody's mm-hmm. so excited to see us have a normal babe, like a normal labor, a normal experience. We we got to leave the hospital and never go back again for, for other reasons, you know? Yeah. Um, and the support was so lovely. The families all really rallied together um and it was a really celebrated pregnancy you know um and I had my lovely again I was under consult under a consultant uh, mainly because of what had happened and um I had gestational diabetes as well so that was I was meant to be under consultant then anyways 
Um, and we were just so lucky um, at my 12-week appointment, my 12-week scan. Everything was happy and healthy. And I'd made sure I had said to them so many times, this is what happened. This is like going forward. We need anomaly scans. We mm. need this. We need that. I need to check their face. I need to check their heart. I need to check. And I was so lucky with the doctor I had, um, a professor in fetal medicine. He really looked after me. Um, and I had numerous anomaly scans from about 16 weeks. So like the, the care was next, you know, it, it was just an amazing experience. And what I should have had really from from the beginning. And it just makes me sad that there's still that's still going on in hospitals in Ireland. Mm. There's still no two week scans, you know, and there's still many parents going through what we had. And I just believe if you have those tools early on in pregnancy, you can deal with that situation so much better. Yeah. Your mind physically because I remember people saying to me, well, what would have changed if you mm. had have known about Jordan? And I said, well, so much would have changed. Um, we would have had a different, totally different outlook. We would have had knowledge, a huge factor, you know. Knowledge is key um, in these situations. We would have been prepared mentally, physically, to what to our own, like to where we could be on our own terms. And we would have processed it, you know. So that was a huge factor and we got all that. We got the validation, we got the all clear and I was able to say, I'm older, I'm wiser, this is what I want. I was going in, by, like, as, an, as a woman, as an adult, you know, this time I wasn't going in holding my mom's hand. <laughs> I was going in speaking for myself. Um, so we were able to, I, I was under the VBAC clinic, um, which was great. Because I knew, again, I had all these years of being able to read up on different things, you know, different opportunities and being in different forums then. You know, you hear, you teach yourself these things. And I knew I wanted spontaneous labour. I didn't want to be induced to all, to what, I, you know, to what you're in control of. I knew I could control certain things. Um, and I was able to go on to, like, support groups for VBACs. There's a brilliant one in it for Ireland. Um, and just talked to like women that have gone through the same thing and I was able to go into the hospitals and be like at 38 weeks Georgia was starting junior infants and I'd said I don't want this baby to come early because I want to enjoy the first few weeks of Georgia's starting school because the baby was due on the 11th September so I was like no no <laughs> I need I need those two weeks we need to settle together this is a huge a huge point in life we need to really enjoy those moments Again, set those intentions <laughs> and I was like, I, I will happily go overdue again. I want this baby to come spontaneously. So everybody thought I was mad, but on my 38-week appointment, I refused to sweep. I remember ringing my friend and she's like, you did what? And I said, yeah, I refused to sweep. I, I don't have to do what they want me to do. You know, I don't have to. I, I can speak for myself now. I can. We have a choice. Women have a choice, you know, mm-hmm. and I refused to sweep um and I went six days overdue and I was happy and we were also happy we were in this bubble of new skill and new routine and um when I was 40 weeks and three days um I actually got admitted um I just thought she wasn't moving you know they say like I was I the kicks count is a huge I'm a huge advocate for that as well um and I don't believe, you know, they say they go a bit quieter before the due date. That's no, they they just move different. So I remember thinking she's not moving quite the same. So we went into the hospital and they agreed that she wasn't giving them what they wanted. So I got admitted. She was fine, but she was just a bit 
sleepy maybe she just wasn't doing what they they needed her to do so I was actually admitted um in the hospital I was getting quite regular contractions but they weren't progressing in pain wise but they were they could see them on the monitor um and uh I'd, so I'd stayed in overnight and the next day they'd said we're gonna let you go home tonight um we're happy with how she is look you want to go spontaneously and we really like you're only they they did an, an examination and I was dilated to two and they said you don't have to stay in um but like there was a few requirements having a VBAC so as soon as I started getting regular contractions and painful mm. contractions you have to go in to get the continuous monitoring what is was huge back then so to make sure that they're the risk of uterine rupture was you know that that's one of the risks of having a VBAC and I was like, okay, that's fine. So they done a stretch and sweep that night. And I remember going home. I'd never experienced any of this with Jordan because I was induced. So I'd never lost a plug. Didn't know what a mucus plug was. <laughs> and I remember going home that night and I had a bath and I had some lavender burning. And it was really just that dreamy kind of visualization. Um, trying to relax and being like this is going to happen naturally I have the right environment around me and it was just so dreamy and I remember I even asked I got Tom to take a picture because I just wanted to focus on that moment and then I have it forever then you know mm. and like clockwork after so we got discharged quite late that night and I got uh, after I had that back I lost my mucus plug <laughs> I lost my show and I remember thinking oh my god I've never experienced anything like this and it was I, I just remember being disgusted, but truly intrigued at this all at once. Yeah, I, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going into too much information, but I remember being like, what is this? And again, ring mommy, uh, ring my mom. And she was like, yeah, it sounds like your show. And I was like, OK, so what's going to happen? She goes, well, it could be days, you know. I think, like, what are the chances on four plus five now? And she was like, look, we'll just see how you go. So I managed to go to sleep. And at about five o'clock that morning, I woke up. And I, do you know, when you, I just knew, like, today's mm. the day. This is it. And I woke up to just, like, period, like, cramps. um, Because, again, I'd never experienced any of this process. It was totally new to me. And um, I I just kind of was in and out of sleep from five o'clock and I got to eight o'clock in the morning and I was up and I said, Tom, you're not going to work today. And he's like, oh, like, you're not going to work. I'm having the baby. And he was like, are you sure? And I was like, yeah, I've been having pain since five and I lost my show. Like, so that's a huge indicator. And he was like, right. Like, I don't know if, if it was like an instinct, but it was like panic stations for him. And he was like, the only way I could describe him was like a headless chicken. He started running around. And Georgia, come on. Da, 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 da. And I was like, calm down. Like, we have a few hours, calm down. And he's like, what's happening? Are you in pain? I was like, yeah, but like, we're managing. It's fine. I'm going to get a shower. And he was like, a shower? Why are you getting You're in labor. <laughs> yeah, I think every mom gets this. Or anybody that has labored will understand this. You just need a shower sometimes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that was one of my my requirements was I need a shower. So he brought Georgia to school. And it worked out perfectly because... It was like nine o'clock and I knew she was safe. I knew she was in school and we had a plan of action. You know, we knew mm. who was collecting her. So it could have happened at any better time. Um, and after being away for the two nights from her, I was so happy to, I, I got that one extra night home before she became a big sister because that's a huge transition. No one talks mm. about those transitions emotionally. And going from one to two, from one to two is a, a huge emotional transition for us, I think, as parents. 
because yes. you're hooking them and you're like you're not going to be the baby anymore and no matter what age they are and I got that last night with her so I was happy so we got to the hospital at about 12 o'clock and I was getting regular contractions and they're like yeah you're 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 three centimeters we're going to admit you so I was so happy um I was really happy um and we went straight up to not delivery but we were kind of in um it was off delivery suite it's a room where they pop, pop you in before you're ready to go into the delivery room it was a, we were in the delivery suite and um we were just there and it was so relaxed I had food there I got dinner and I was so happy um just bouncing on the ball um hooked up that was the only thing that was quite that was the only kind of down point was that I was still hooked up to this machine because of the continuous monitoring um so every now and again they'd be like oh you have to change position um and stuff like that and I could feel the intensity of the contractions really coming the surges that they speak of um and the midwife was said right, we're, we're doing an examination um and she went to say you're still three centimeters and then my waters just went everywhere like she it was one of those moments where I was having a contraction while she was doing an examination and she didn't burst them her, they just went naturally and um it was like it was like something I you see in a movie or you hear women talk about it. it just went everywhere like a tsunami and I was like oh my god oh my god was that my words and she's like it's okay and that's I think the first point where I started to panic because I felt like this is out of my control now and I was like no I was still she said I went from three to four once my waters went though the waters were bulging so they were kind of stopping anything from progressing um so off to the room the labor room and that was about four o'clock in the evening and between four and nine o'clock things kind of became a bit of a blur then at this point um I remember they kept saying to me you know just to move onto your onto your side um the left side you know when they want to get their baby's heart rate a bit better and it kept happening a bit too much where they were like okay the heart rate like she's not really happy in that position you know turn on that position and when you when you're laboring you kind of want that you want that free movement you want to be able to kind of just do what your body wants and when you're laying on a bed and you have a monitor on you it's not a nice experience because you can't get into that like optimal position that you mm. your body is telling you to get in and I remember them saying to me um like I was able to get up again at this point and my waters were kind of tinged the color that they weren't too happy with um the baby she was doing okay but they were to say there's a bit of a little bit of a tinge which is a sign that she might be in stress or that like she's on a poo so again I've no concept of time it kind of was a bit of a blur but they were like, do you want the epidural? And I remember saying, yes. Yeah. So I was about five centimetres at this point. And um, they're like, okay, we'll get you the epidural and see if things kind of, if everything is okay, we'll keep going the way we are. And um, the, so I got the epidural and it failed twice. And I was like, no, this can't be happening. <laughs> this is when the panic set in for me because I was like, I got into so far, I got into that point of five to six centimetres and I felt so empowered that I got to that point because I'd always said I'll try what I can because you don't get an extra medal at the end you know kind of mm-hmm. way if you don't get your pain relief or if you decide not to it's you but you can feel empowered and that's so amazing itself and I had felt really empowered and when I said you know what I'm tired there's no harm like it's that's what it's there for like it's amazing medicine you know so I was like yeah I'd like to and when I got to that point when it failed that's when I was like lose 
I felt like it was just out of my control and I was like I, I want help and I can't get the help I want you know and that's where the panic set in for me because you're you're craving this help and you you're you want this like break because they were so intense like once the waters went they were so intense the contractions and I remember saying like what are we going to do and they're like it's fine it's fine and with that they said right we'll give you a spinal because we need you to get this like you you need your you need that break now. you need help so they gave me a spinal and with that um Tom decided at that moment of time he's like oh my god the car park closes I have to get the van out of the car park. <laughs> so he decided at this point that he needed to leave to go and save his car and move it from the car park because he would have been stuck in this multi-story car park all night so they're like she's fine now she's had the spinal but of course typical as soon as he left my blood pressure dropped really low and I kind of blacked out okay and I just remember yeah I remember waking up because my blood pressure dropped so low I remember then waking up to them I, I can't remember so correct me if I'm wrong or if, if I'm wrong apologies but they were squeezing the blood pressure bag I think they called it they're squeezed to get my I'm not sure what it was I just remember this they're squeezing some sort of bag of fluids or something to get my blood pressure back up and that was really scary again I felt like these incidents happen when I'm on my own and I, it's mm-hmm. when you feel the most horrible you know and I remember being so upset because I just kind of blacked out like, things just went completely black and I'm waking up to this situation and I'm like, where is everybody? Where's Tom? Where's my mom? And my mom was never there from, mm. from the beginning. But it was just one of those moments where he getting off a fright and he came back. And at this point, they'd stabilised me. The baby was fine. And I was laying there. And he was like, is everything OK? Because <laughs> he walked into this atmosphere and they were like, no, everything's not OK. It is now. But why did you find that the most appropriate time to go and move your van? And he was like, OK, I won't be that's it I'm here I'm here yeah I'm here I'm fully like like here present um and from that point then my pain had stopped they stabilized the baby they were still happy that she wasn't in distress and I have to say then from that moment it was it was again I just felt like I'd come back to myself everybody the atmosphere completely changes the doctors had all left that came in you know at that moment Mm. And it was just me and this midwife and she'd said, I mean, Tom, and she'd said, would you like us to turn the lights off? It's the evening time now. And we got the lights dimmed and she was like, OK, um, you're fully dilated. You're nine centimetres, but we'll give you like there's no rush. We'll give you a half an hour and we'll start pushing. And that's that was just lovely to have a normal conversation without mm. something going wrong or like, you know, being in pain and being able to talk. And we got to talk and we got to bond with the midwife um, because, you know, in between all this, you have there's so many people coming in out with different midwives. There's shift changes going on um, and it got to 10 o'clock and she was like, OK, are you ready to push? So we got to the stage of pushing and it just wasn't happening um, like they, they wanted it to happen. And again, I heard that heart rate monitor go down, like her the heart rate started to go down again. So they'd said to me, look, we're going to have to intervene and um, we're going to do um, forceps. And at this point, again, I'd already like I, I said I didn't want any intervention, but I was like, no, if that's what you need to do to get her out, that's fine. So a few stitches or a few pushes and they got her out with forceps and I had an episiotomy. And she was born um, a healthy nine pound four ounces and mm. she came into the world screaming. And like that, I just remember asking them, 
how many toes does she have? And to me, it was just one of those valid questions because it, with Georgia, it's what I had noticed. Um, is she okay? How many toes does she have? And they were kind of looking at me like, why are you asking? And Tom was like, there's a reason why she's asking. And I got to hold her. I got to um, do skin to skin. When she kind of came off the table after having like just a quick intervention, you know, after having forceps. And I got to latch her and latch her, her breastfeeding journey you. lasted until she was, yeah. We got to latch and we our breastfeeding journey lasted until I was nine months pregnant on Hannah. Oh wow. it was just yeah, it was just a totally different experience. Um and those po- postpartum days are full of hormones and the mom guilt is real. And I had a lot of mom guilt because I felt like I'd bonded so differently with Edda than I did Georgia. Mm. And it's your mind can like sway so quickly can't especially postpartum and I was all about keeping my mental health keeping on top of my mental health and um, because I thought I just dipped into kind of depression after George was born and just keeping on top of it and I went to kind of um counseling like in between the miscarriages and um during the pregnancy and everything was fine I had a really really good postpartum experience um just you know like the baby blues um and we established breastfeeding uh, really well and like I said we done up until she was 18 months old um and that was the that's how Ella became outside <laughs> so it was a totally different experience so will we talk about your most recent experience yeah so we um uh fell pregnant with Hannah like, this was an unplanned pregnancy um and I was nine months postpartum with Ella. So it was a really, really difficult time. Um, again, it was one of those experiences where completely different feeling to how I was with Georgia. Even Georgia was unplanned. This mm. time around, I was so content with two children. I really took it hard. We were in the height of lockdown as well. Life is so different. Um, and I just said, like, I felt like after having Ella, I felt I was so lucky. I felt like if I had any more children, I was kind of like asking, not asking for something to go wrong. But I was just very lucky. Like I had all my eggs in one basket. Do you know that kind of way? I just felt so con- happy. And I was like, I remember finding out I was pregnant and my period still weren't regular because she was only nine, nine months postpartum. Yeah, I was old and the breastfeeding. I thought I knew my body. <laughs> I thought I knew how my body worked at the time. Well, it there was so so irregular, and um, this it it kind of caught me off guard at how upset I was. I remember using the word um, it's quite sensitive, but I remember using the word um, what was um a inconvenience, and I remember just people trying to validate. I remember my best friend at the time saying, "What inconvenience?" the baby or the or how your life's going to change and I remember saying to her everything everything yeah. um and I find it was quite a dark place um in the sense of it took a long time to come around because at this point I know with Georgia everybody said you know what your options are but at this point life in Ireland had changed these referendums had come in you know and there, there really is an option for women now to, to go ahead with any anything you know like that termination wise and I remember getting to the point where I actually rang a clinic for myself without telling anybody. And I remember um, just my mom and my sister then knew. And they were like, you need to do what you need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and at the end of the day that's that's it like we give you our full support no matter what you choose and Tom I remember speaking with Tom and obviously he was very much so like I will support you whatever you want to do but you can do this you can do this you will be fine we will be fine and I remember thinking so silly things like we need we need a bigger car and like going from a family of four to five it, th- th- that dynamic really changes you know the car for example because we're going to need we're going to have two babies in, in big car seats where we're facing you know we, we're going to need three car seats to go across a car and so things like that and our housing situation wasn't great um it was going to become overcrowded at this point and it took a long time to move on and my 12-week scan was on Ella's first birthday. <laughs> so I took that as like a bittersweet moment, a mm. moment of kind of like hope and everything would be okay and a moment of, I can't believe I'm leaving her at seven o'clock in the morning on her birthday. But it was a lovely experience. Everything was fine. And there was a 12-week baby flicking away on, on the heart, on the on the monitor. Did that so change again, things for you when you saw her? Um, I, I think so. It made it very real. Um, and at the same time, I had the support of my sister-in-law. She also had was experiencing an unplanned pregnancy. and uh, We were only three and a half weeks apart. So I had that support. And I, I always say to her, if I didn't have her throughout the pregnancy, I think my mind frame would have been so different because I knew how I was feeling was so valid. Yeah. Um, because people don't talk about unplanned pregnancies, really. Um, no, I completely not, agree. Yeah, they don't. Yeah. They don't, not to the not to the extent of how I felt and how it, like my sister-in-law felt. And it was nice to know that I could just ring her sobbing my heart out and she'd be like, this is okay. We will be okay. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling the exact same. So it did change how seeing her on scan um, and being back in the rotunda, I suppose, so short, like, or the hospital being so short, the time frame between babies. It was kind of nice to see like the familiar faces you know yeah. I, there was midwives that I'd come across and um, so I straight back under consultant again gestation of IBEs they just treated me as the same and um, I found out then we, we got our anomaly scans and again they treated us with so much care because of Georgia even though we know it wasn't genetic every time they're they like no there's always a chance so we got great care in that sense um, and we found we weren't going to find out because I said I've had too many surprises this year <laughs> so we're like we leave we leave our third as a surprise um and we didn't in the end because I said you know what I need to know because if we're having a girl I'd already started giving away things before I found out I was pregnant and right. we needed to keep financially we needed to keep yeah. all those bits and we needed to keep our our clothes because the, the babies were going to be not like 18 months between them so we found out we we're having a little girl and um I'd gone from, again, from dealing with those emotions at the beginning to seeing the 12-week scan, to being in a lovely bubble, and then found out we were having another girl, and I felt like I disappointed everybody. Um, I felt like everybody wanted us to have a boy (coughs) because we had two girls. And I felt like they were like, oh, wouldn't it be lovely if you had a boy? Wouldn't it be great if you have Tom, his son? You know, all these comments. And I remember thinking my sister-in-law had a little girl, after two boys so I was like it would be great if we had a little boy after two girls but I kept convincing myself and reminding myself no a girl would be fantastic because we have all the necessary (coughs) clothes and equipment and everything there and I remember just feeling 
a feeling of deflation and I again I didn't realize it was normal and I remember crying we'd done the balloon pop and everybody was so happy and excited and they showed us like support and I remember leaving after that and saying to Tom why am I sad I have a baby in my arms I have an eight-year-old or nearly an eight-year-old <coughs> laying in bed they're all healthy and happy why am I sad this isn't this isn't normal like I I should be grateful like not many women like I've had two miscarriages but there's women out there that haven't got to the point where I have why am I so selfish and I was just couldn't get my head around it and I had I'd gone back to counseling again because I felt like if any pregnancies I needed the support mentally for this one because of how it had began and I remember saying to the therapist um I'd actually gotten linked with the mental health team in the hospital which was fantastic and I remember saying to her like all these feelings and she was like you know those feelings you're having they're normal like that's totally normal you have a visual a visualization of how you might want it to be the gender disappointment is is really real yeah like you yeah. can expect and again that's another subject that you don't see people talk about because you're expected to just love what you're given um and I remember just crying and yeah it was I remember that sentence so well saying I have a baby in my arms why am I not happy and that was the that was kind of a moment for me as well when I realized I needed to keep on top of my mental health because it can spiral so quickly especially with hormones and stuff like that so it took a good while um it took a long time because I'd said I'm not having an unplanned pregnancy again I'm ha- like we've three babies now I won't be having any more children so it took a long time for me to accept that we're having three girls and I just have to keep going back to she's healthy we have clothes we're saving so much money and we I started the the names I started with the names to try and bond you know trying like writing down your list in the evenings going through names and doing all those kind of things and it got better it did get better you know like Christmas came yeah <laughs> and Christmas came around and we got to celebrate Christmas again and I was like 28 weeks pregnant around Christmas and it followed the same pattern as it did with Georgia. I would have fallen around, pregnant around the same time. So it was another March baby. So it was so nice then to be like, oh, I remember when I was this far gone with Georgia. I remember. Yeah. So those kind of experiences were lovely. And then I knew after Christmas, those 12 weeks after Christmas to fly in. Like once you hit 28 weeks, it flies in. So my sister and I was due to have her baby soon. She had her baby. And that was really a lovely, again, a lovely point because I was able to... Uh, see this little girl and be like I can't wait for my little girl again you know and I just remember I kept saying to myself how lucky am I to say I have three girls like not like that not many people could say they have one girl but I could say I have three girls and you know those simple affirmations so I decided to kind of really change my mind frame and I'd never done hypnobirthing before so again I got into that mind frame of no like I can I can set this I can put the attentions out there I'm having another spontaneous labour. I, I don't want to be induced. I wanted to go. I wanted a lovely experience. Um, and yeah, just done the hypnobirthing in the evenings, listening to it. I'd fall asleep to it. Um, I kind of really got into like my essential oils, you know, just calming, just meditating, trying to really get my head into the right mind frame because I was busy. And it's only now when you can actually look back. I didn't like, I was still breastfeeding a, t- a baby. She was a baby. Um, 
I had a child going to school and yeah, I was heavily pregnant chasing after like a 17 month old, you know, yeah. and you don't get help unless you ask for help. And I wasn't great at the time for asking for help, you know, and I got to the point where I said, I've decided I'm not going to tandem feed. It's just something I want to do to protect my mind. Mm. I and I, that that transition when you wean was is so hard. So that was a huge hormonal blip in the whole process. So I'd actually night weaned her when I was about five months pregnant. I needed the full night's sleep, and yeah, at, when I was nine months pregnant, just the beginning of the, the ninth month. So I had four weeks left. I'd said to Tom, "We need to. I'm, I'm ready to night wean her." But you don't realize you're like when it's done, you're like, "I wasn't ready," <laughs> and then comes the emotions and the tears. Yeah. And I still have like the last feed. I have a picture of our last feed. Unknowingly, it'd be our last feed. And I gave those four weeks to myself. I tried my best to give those four weeks back to me because I'd done 18 months of pregnancies. But before that, the miscarriages, the pregnancies, the breastfeeding. And it was a lovely transition. Again, I still cried, like, you know, yourself, the hormones and everything. But it was a positive experience. Um, And again, I... Everything was going well. The pregnancy was going great. They were saying to me, oh, it's another big baby. I was like, I was only expecting another big baby because I'd gone from eight, four to nine, four. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you're going to have a big baby. And again, I tried to stick with what I knew. And I knew that I had an opinion or I had a voice. And I'd say to them, oh, well, I've birthed a big baby before. So I'm I'm well capable of birthing another big baby. Um and they'd bring me in for extra growth scans at like 38 weeks. And I they were like, oh, we talk about induction or we'd talk about C-section days. And I was like, no, that's not a vocabulary in my mind. <laughs> I don't want those. I don't, I, I'd don't. rather just go into spontaneous labor. And again, um, I refused to sweep um, until I was overdue because I was like, they just, they either can work in your favor or they can just make you feel wrong for a few days. Yeah, yeah. Um, and again, we were in a big lockdown. So from the January to March, the kids were out of school. So I was like, Do you know what? I'd rather just get Georgia back to school. And she'd already had so much time, like from junior infants out of school. Just want to get Georgia back to school and I'll concentrate on the baby. And I think she went back to school when I was 39 weeks pregnant. And I had at 40 weeks and five days, I had an appointment. And I, they said, would you like a sweep? And I said, I feel content enough. Yeah, like if I'm favourable, that's I'm like that's cool. I'm 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 happy with that. So they were like, yeah, you, you're favourable to have a sweep. Um, and yeah, just kind of let things, let my body kind of do what it needs to do. There wasn't much going on. Um, and then the next day, um, I got George at school. I had Ella at home with me, and I remember just hoovering her mop and her doing one of those things and I had the sensation of I know I felt this before and it was my my show again I lost my show and again the same feelings of this is just crazy it's so bizarre and at this point I had no contraction or anything and I rang Tom and he's working within Dublin and um, they just made sure he was based in Dublin and I was like look nothing really to report but I, I lost my show and he's like okay no problem um it was my dad's birthday as well. So I was like, oh, sure, what are the chances they're going to share birthdays? You know, uh, I'll go down to my mom's, have a bit of cake and everything. So we've done that. And then I remember I had all the cramps and aches that normal pregnancy bring. You know, I had the, I don't know if you ever heard of the term lightning crotch, you know, the show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had all those. 
all those but I didn't think anything different because I was carrying a child on my hip like a toddler mm. as well I was doing it you know you just do it and um we got to bedtime and I always said again once they were in bed and asleep I'd be so happy for anything to happen during the night because you know your kids are safe and they're well mm. and they're being looked after and um we were actually transitioning Ella into it she was very young um but it worked we transitioned her into um like a, a, her cot bed and we brought them to George's room so they were actually we we're doing that and they were laying on the mattresses for a while on the floor to two of them and they it was great crack they really enjoyed mm-hmm. it together and I remember laying down on the mattress with them and um I was we just bathed Georgia and I squeezed her hand and she's like why are you squeezing my hand and I was like am I I didn't even realize it was and it kind of occurred to me I was like I'm getting I'm getting pains here I'm getting tightened and she got to sleep really quickly but she kind of triggered it kind of she coughed that something was on she's like mom are you okay and she'd panic she'd worry <coughs> so I just reassured her that everything was fine and that was about eight o'clock and at nine o'clock I rang my friend and I was like I think I'm getting contractions and she's like look we're on the phone we'll time them and I think that was at nine o'clock on the bottom and by 24 minutes past nine I had five contractions okay and she's like yeah I think you're in labor so I was like grand I'll keep you updated I'll ring my mom so I rang my mom again another kind of distraction on the phone and in that time between half nine and ten they'd even gotten more regular and they were they were last in a minute and she was like I think you need to like you're kind of I started to hesitate during them you know that kind of delayed speech or that delayed mm. conversation and I was like wow in an hour they've kind of progressed really quickly and again because of the continuous monitoring after having cesarean they kind of want you to pop in quite soon so I remember at 10 to 10 we rang Tom's mom to come over and by 10 past 10 when she arrived I was pausing between each contraction it came on really quickly I was at the car I remember standing at the front door holding on to the front door closing my eyes waiting for the surge to come you know letting it go okay let's go and into the car and at this point they had really like started coming really quickly and the pain was quite intense park so walked up the doors another contraction got to the reception and the woman at reception was like is this your first baby no it's my third okay so she could also see that things were progressing really quickly Mm -hmm. I wasn't waiting too long and by the time I had to get try out and I got in there and they said to me so it was about 20 past 10 and at this point we're at COVID again so they weren't allowed in into your three centimeters so all I wanted to be was three centimeters so he could come in and she, I remember getting, she could see I was, I was in triage and she said to me, yeah, so you're three centimeters. And I was like, is, is that all? Like, I'm devastated because I'm in, like, these are coming fast, like every two minutes and they're lasting a minute. And she was like, your body has done so much work. Like, I think when we get so focused on centimeters and dilation yeah. and those numbers, but there's so much going on. She was like, your cervix is completely thinned out the baby and she's like your body has been put in so much hard work and I was like okay that made me feel and you sometimes you just need that one person that says the right thing mm-hmm. and she was like and your partner can come straight in <laughs> so up we went um and at this point in 18 months they kind of had done up the labor ward um and the labor the labor rooms a little bit so it was a bit more I want to say um holistic um like they had it over like it kind of completely fresh completely white the lights were dimmed and there was music on they had gorgeous pictures on like like floral pictures on the walls really lovely colors really calming like sage 
like the kind of the what we're wearing <laughs> that olivey color and um yeah things have progressed really quickly I got up there got to meet my midwife um we're saying it's about um by the time we got into the labor suite it was about 10 past 11 so I was in the hospital about 45 minutes and yeah 10 past 11 I remember being and I remember saying to them these are coming so quickly I don't want an epidural this time I want to just try and see how far I can go not that I don't want but I want to see how far I can go again I got to six centimeters and it failed so I was actually it's more than six centimeters the last time so I just want to keep going I'll do a lot of swaying and a lot of leaning like kind of really supporting myself up on Tom and my arms wrapped around his neck um and again, there wasn't much he could do for me this time because there was no back rubbing. So he was just letting me do what I needed to do. Um, and I remember saying to them, guys, this is progressing really quickly. And I don't know, the midwife seen me and she seen my body language. And, you know, they say a woman starts using those primal noises, mm. you know, the the mooing and the <laughs> the like those those animal type noises suggest that she is kind of transitioning or going into transition and she's like right up onto the bed we'll do a quick examination and I was like really please no and then I was like no we'll get up and I'll see where I am so I can keep going and keep pushing myself and she's like you're five centimeters and I remember again I panicked at this point and I said this isn't normal I'm in a lot a lot like I'm in so much pain like this is really unbearable I felt like my stomach was being ripped open the burning sensation across my c-section scar I said I don't feel like this is normal and she's like, no, like you're doing amazing. Would you like pain relief? And I was like, yeah, I will take. If this is only five centimeters, I will take an epidural if that's okay. Like, yeah, we'll just ring them and you will give you what you need. So I started on the gas and air at this point. And I remember saying to Tom, they're lying to me. I can't be only five centimeters. <laughs> do you know when your mind kind of starts mm. going? I think they're lying to me. And he goes, what do you mean they're lying to you? I said, I'm more than five centimeters. I have to be. They're lying to me. They're trying to distract me. This gas and air is crap. <laughs> and he was like, they're just trying to calm me down. And I was kind of really losing myself at this point. Um, and they're like, no, no, you're you're fine. You keep going. We're, we're going to get the, the anesthetist. She's on her way. Um, and then with that, I said, I started, I said, I'm bearing down, guys. My body's pushing. And they're like, you were just five centimeters. And I started to do that that grunt and that moan and I'd never really experienced that with with Ella because I had the spinal and I was I started to do this moaning that I didn't even know my body could produce and they're like okay um okay let me just check again she's like you're 10 centimeters in a oh three minute gosh. period I've gone from and you hear of this happening but mm. you don't ever expect it to happen so within a three minute and I said, you know what, I'm just happy I, I told them how I felt and how my body was reacting because something was happening and I was progressing really, really quickly. So she was like, yeah, you're like, this is you're ready to go. And at that point, the I was like, so that means I can't get. <laughs> and like, you're doing amazing. You can do this. And I had to. There was no there was no going back. I had to do it. So we done it. Um, and. At this point, again, it kind of was a bit of a, a theme. Unfortunately, her heart rate had completely dropped. Um, and the room, they must have pressed a buzzer because the room just all of a sudden filled with so many people and doctors. And they were saying to me, we need you to cooperate. Not like we need you to listen and focus now. This baby needs to come now. And I remember just panicking, be like, what's wrong, what's wrong? But I could hear in between the haze of the 
uh, gas and air, I could hear the really low thump, thump, you know, the heartbeat. And I was mm. like, there's something wrong. And they're like, just focus, focus. So they said, do you agree with us intervention? And I was like, you need to do to get my baby out safely. So she was Kiwi cup. So they didn't have to actually, uh, I had no PZ on me this time, which was okay. brilliant because I felt like my efforts had worked and stuff, you know, like I'd tried to do the perineal massage and stuff, you know, and the raspberry leaf tea. And I was just happy that there was no PZ on me. I had this little tiny graze or cut, um, but the pain from having the suction cup with no spinal block epidural, that was intense. And I just remember they got her out. And there was a few moments of worry. She was brought over to the table. And you know that cry, when you're waiting for that cry, it seems like moment, like it seems like not even moment, minutes. And we were just waiting for her. And then I was just waiting for her to kind of, you know, respond. She's just having a little bit of difficulty. And she did. And she was fine. She was just, she just wasn't happy with what was going on. And she she just needed a bit of support. And so I felt like I'd missed out on that skin to skin again. But she got it and I got to latch again so mm. we were we were really happy and she came out nine pound eight ounces and I just felt so empowered that I the th- first thing I said when the room kind of calmed down and she was fine and the baby doctors had seen her I just said I done it I done it with no epidural I done it like I can't believe I was able to do it and it was one of those moments of you're so proud of yourself and you're so like regardless of what way they came, it's just I done it. I was able to do it, and I just so glad I listened to every minute my body was telling me or my mind was saying there's something going on. And it's just yeah, it's just a really empowering feeling. Um, and we yeah, we Tom got to stay. So she was born an hour and twenty minutes after arriving to hospital. So it was for my second vaginal delivery. I was delighted, you know, like because Ella was the first really after after the cesarean. So I was really happy um, and like that, like I just knew, like I listened to my body from being at home and yeah, she was nice and big and healthy. And despite what the doctors are saying, I, I was able to stick to what my my mind and my body and my intuition, like mother's intuition is amazing, you know, and her gut instinct. And I was just so happy I could speak for myself because eight years ago, I couldn't speak for myself. I was like, mm. I was young. I, it was mentioned so many times how young I was my experience with Georgia was so far-fetched like you know it seems it seems like it was a completely different lifetime now you know but I was just so content with well how everything went um and and that was yeah that was that experience with Hannah so it was it Thank was you. a lovely experience mm. yeah. it's going to be such a such an important episode to share I know so many of us will be able to relate to so many different parts of your story thank you so much and thank you Jess if you would like to share your story you are more than welcome to get in touch over the website irelandsbirthstories.ie which I have linked in the show notes click on the share your story tab fill in a few details and I'll get back to you as soon as possible possible with a date for our chat I hope you have a good week and I will chat to you on Monday with a brand new episode Mom. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.